This week, we're talking about whether having New Year's resolutions makes people feel more accomplished at the end of the year. My New Year's resolution is 1080 pixels. It's more research required. Science and technology! Welcome to More Research Required, a podcast where we talk about all the research studies we would do if anyone would give us the money. I'm Amy Jackmoji. I'm Abby Norling Ruggles. That was so fast that we like got into the actual episode. Because usually I end up just talking about my puns for like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We edit most of that out. Yeah, part of my New Year's resolution is to talk less about how good my puns are. <laughs> but like the same amount of puns, right? Just less meta discussion of the puns. Yeah, I feel no, like that's a good call. No, actually more puns, because if I talk about oh, how yeah, good they are, less. You've got more time for the puns, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Good call. Good call. I like it. So welcome to 2018. Yeah. Wait, what did you just call it? 2018. Did you have like an... Okay. I thought you said said a name for it. No, I called it by its true name. That's a number. (laughs) Are you sure that its true name is not 20-gay-teen? Because I'm pretty into 20-gay-teen. Okay, so I'm pretty sure that 20-gay-teen is probably its true name, just judging by the activities that I have seen on the internet of people loudly celebrating mm-hmm. 20 gay teen. I called it by its birth name, but I should call it by 20 gay teen. It's chosen name. <laughs> it's a good year, hopefully. Fingers yeah. crossed. So far, it's fine. We're a couple days in. <laughs> yeah, so far, nothing worse than usual has happened. Well, uh, yeah, I guess not worse than usual. <laughs> yeah, if you judge by from last January... We're doing on par. <laughs> That's true. Nobody. Cool. This is an optimistic podcast. Nobody's died? Probably some people have died. Okay, yeah, it's been a lot of days for no one to have died. But, <laughs> you know, nobody I know, so that means it doesn't count. So, uh, we have a podcast. <laughs> sure do. So, Abby, we're talking about New Year's resolutions. This podcast, did you make any decisions for this year? Are you going to improve yourself as we step into 2019? (laughs) I mean, I do think that I'm going to improve myself, but I didn't make any specific New Year's resolutions. So maybe this is actually good because we can have like a test case for our question within the the podcast host. Wait, assuming that, I guess, like, do you have a New Year's resolution other than explain puns less and make puns more. <laughs> I sure do. I sure did make a Tumblr post where behind the cut I talked about my eight goals. Oh, I did see year. that actually, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm becoming like weird and sentimental and like confiding in the internet more than I should. Maybe that should have been a I resolution. I don't understand how people, like it's not a problem that people do that. I think it's totally fine. It's just not how my brain works. I cannot tell the internet things that I wouldn't tell my friends. There are people on the internet. They see that. I mean, I think that part of it is, like, the accountability of it is helpful. If you, Mm -hmm. like, put things that you either intend to do or intend to work on out there, I usually end up feeling like, okay, well, I have to demonstratively get better right now, (laughs) you know? (laughs) 
I mean, yeah, I can definitely see it being helpful. So, Amy, do you want to say what any of your New Year's resolutions are? I really want to finish a bunch of my writing projects. Um, I want to do art more and get back to being good at art because in (laughs) high school I was really good. I'm going to do some (laughs) painting. Nice. Just sort of keeping on the trajectory that I'm at right now, honestly, because I think that in 2017, it was really hard for a lot of people, myself included, and I think that it really made me realize that I wanted to do things for myself, such as cool podcasts with my friends. (laughs) Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, but that's awesome. Well, okay, now I feel like we have a very good, you know, you have very, like, good, solid goals, and I have similar goals that I have not articulated into specific resolutions. So now we can do an entirely anecdotal pilot study about this question with just the two of us. Yes, just a, um, like a longitudinal, a longitudinal study with two test cases. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's going to be really widely applicable to a lot of different people. (laughs) Definitely. This is how you do good studies. With two people. Yeah, two people is enough for a test group. Don't worry about it. I mean, if you listen to, like, any linguist, they would say probably yes. But, like, endangered languages, sign languages, stuff. I know, they have, like, struggles. Linguistics is a hard field to get test subjects in. Yeah, and especially because the way that they do IRB approval is such that it is done the same way as other psychological studies are done. But the Mm -hmm. thing is... With linguistics, your consultants just have to speak their language. And right. Yeah, whereas with psychological studies, you are actively trying to manipulate their behavior. Or not manipulate, but observe their behavior under different conditions. So I think that there is a wider gap between the two than the IRB really allows for. Right. No, I mean, a linguistics is much more like you're doing an interview than that you're experimenting on them. Yes, exactly. Or, like, not all linguistics, but just, like, a, you know, an elicitation. But research boards don't really have separate rules for the two different studies Mm -hmm. in gaining approval for things. So, for example, you'll have sign language studies where people's faces are blurred out, even though there are non-manual, like, indicators on the face. Right, that's rough. You definitely need to see the face. It's not great. Okay, well, maybe we should actually stop talking about linguistics and start addressing our question that we asked. First of all, we'll never actually stop talking about linguistics, but that's a great idea. Abby, have you? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So, Abby, do you mind if I just kind of zoom in, take these things, and go into prior research? Go for it. Okay, cool. So I found two studies that seem to be related. One was from 1989 and one was from 2002, both from the University of Scranton. So they are done with very similar methods, and they're testing very similar things. The second one branches out a little bit, um, but the two studies are Ringing in the New Year, The Change Processes and Reported Outcomes of Resolutions by Norcross, Ratson, and Payne from 1989, and Odd Lang Syne, Success Predictors, Change Processes, and Self-Reported Outcomes of New Year's Resolvers and Non-Resolvers by Norcross, Mrykalo, and Blagus from 2002. Uh, okay, so nice. I um I was concerned that you also had because I also have one by Norcross from 1989, but it's a different one. So we are just citing Norcross a lot. I oh, guess this right. is a person who does a lot of research about New Year's. I guess John C. Norcross. I guess. Yeah, I had opinions about both of these, but um, 
<laughs> so, dear John C. Norcross. Okay, so the first one set out to identify predictors of self-change and examine effectiveness of coping strategy by collecting um, phone interviews with people over a period of six months, six different interviews. Mm-hmm. The second one also used phone interviews for different phone interviews over a period of six months that was trying to compare people who made New Year's resolutions and people who didn't. Nice. They both kind of found the same conclusions to an extent um they were done by asking people about their success at any given time in their goals in general most of these resolutions they specifically chose people who were looking at things like weight and quitting smoking and exercising more like specific Mm -hmm. changeable behaviors there was actually something that was a little bit funny which is that apparently there were people who got kicked out for not having clear enough goals and the exact wording is like 22 additional calls were placed by adults who despite efforts of the interviewer were unable or unwilling to specify measurable behaviors associated with the resolutions examples (laughs) in this category were efforts to straighten my life out and getting some happiness and it's like i want them to succeed i'm sorry that that's not measurable Yeah, I hope they are succeeding at straightening their life out. Yeah, I want to know how those people did, because it seems like they care about what's important. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I really really wish they went back to those people, like, you know, six months later and were like, so, did you straighten your life out? Yeah, like, how are you feeling? How's it been going? Tell me about your life. Yeah. So they ended up asking them questions about their readiness to change, their desire to change, their confidence in their ability to change, the skill set that would allow them to change, and their social supports Hmm. in changing. Preparation and confidence to change strongly predicted that they would end up continuously sticking with their goal and achieving it and Mm -hmm. things like social support the desire to change and skills to change didn't differentiate the successful and unsuccessful resolvers at all this was found similarly in the non-resolvers versus resolvers study but i have a critique of that that will come a little later okay they also found that the coping mechanisms used like using like willpower and powering through it and like stimulus control which is either the removal or the addition of something that will help you keep on track for the thing you want to do. For example, like having reminders to go to the gym if you want to exercise more Mm -hmm. would help. Whereas like self-blame and wishful thinking didn't help. So that's just positive versus negative reinforcement as far as I can tell. Yeah. I mean, wishful thinking definitely falls into a slightly different category than just negative reinforcement, I think. But actually, wishful thinking, I thought this was actually something that came up in the study that I read also, that specifically that self-blame and and wishful thinking were negatively correlated with actually um, achieving your goals. And I don't know, wishful thinking is such an interesting term to use. They didn't go super deep into what exactly it is. But like, you know, wishful thinking could be wishing that the thing will happen or resolve itself, but that also just seems so close to being, like, visualizing the thing happening, you know, which is often a thing that people do suggest doing when you have a goal. So I, I don't know. I'm curious about where that line is and, what like, what's helpful about that and what's not helpful. I agree. I'm also interested in that, but I also sort of like the idea that I can read this and then, like, be like, well, according to two papers I just read, the secret is fake, so... yeah sure i mean maybe i don't know wait can we do an episode about whether the secret is real 
Of course we can. I love to dunk on the secret. Excellent. Cool. Let's do that soon. Okay. Okay. It's coming up, kids. Keep an ear out. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, we got to investigate that further in the future. I do appreciate, though, that, you know, I think at some point fairly recently I read a study that that was saying, like, like self-forgiveness was negatively correlated with successfully, like, quitting smoking or whatever, which... Is really sad, I think. Like, that's not, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's true, but you don't want to just be, like, blaming yourself a bunch because that helps you lose weight or whatever. So, I appreciated that these studies showed that self-blame was not helpful, and I choose to believe that result. Because <laughs> that's how science works. Well, I wonder if it's more about the idea of making your behavior something about you inherently as a person is harmful. In general, Mm -hmm. like, I think there's a difference between self-forgiveness and self-blame and just like saying, like, I'm a person and I'm going to mess up sometimes, but this is something I'm going to keep doing. And I wonder if there's a meaningful difference between self-forgiveness and and that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. Right. I think you've got to be a lot stricter with your definitions than these people were. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm curious about that because I I do think that saying, you know, oh, I didn't do this right, so I'm just, you know, a bad person, or, like, I don't have the willpower to do it, that's obviously not going to be helpful. Exactly. Like, just making it about, like, your ability to do things, I think, makes it harder. I think that you have to look at it and say, like, this is something that I can do, and I'm going to have to work for it, and sometimes Mm -hmm. I am not going to be able to do my best work in that way. Right, yeah. I mean, I I don't know if you had more things to say about your papers, but um, my paper mentioned that people who were ultimately successful at achieving their New Year's resolution, I believe the average number of times that they slipped up in doing that and had a cigarette if they were trying to quit smoking or, you know, in some way, you know, fell away from achieving their goal, uh, the average number of times that happened was 17. (laughs) Uh, that was over a two-year period, which is very high, but those are people who did ultimately, I can't remember exactly how many, a significant number of them achieved their goals. So sometimes you got you slip up, but you still just keep going, and it's like, right, you can't let that stop you, because I think that's where the self-blame comes in. Yeah, I really like that. If you want to talk about your paper now, that's great. I do want to critique the 2002 study Yeah, go at some for it. Point. Okay, cool. So... I was reading through this one, and this is the one that has a group of resolvers and non-resolvers, which I thought was a really interesting way to look at it. Like, they created a control group, except it's not Mm -hmm. actually a control group of people who made resolutions and people who didn't make resolutions. It's a control group of people who are in the contemplation stage, which is like when you recognize that there's a problem but or something Mm -hmm. that you want to change, but you're not committed to changing it yet, versus the action change, which is when you are committed to changing it and... And you recognize there's a problem and like it's all the steps of the contemplation change plus wanting to change. Mm-hmm. And they took out everyone in the non-resolvers group who exited the contemplation stage in the first month and then compared whether or not they met the goals oh. that they stated. So they they took out the people who started trying to meet the goal. Yeah. 
Okay, right. That seems like not how you would do that. Yeah, they ended up having a 4% continuous success rate and a 4% success rate at the end of six months. And it's like, well, maybe it's because you took out all the people who you asked this question and then thought, maybe I should change. And that would be fine if they actually said in the study more often that it was contemplation stage versus action stage. But like, Mm -hmm. even in the closing statement, they said that... Quote unquote, the success rate of resolutions is approximately 10 times higher than the success rate of adults desiring to change their behavior, but not making a resolution, which isn't true. It's not framed in resolutions versus non-resolutions. It's framed in... Yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah, it's like, just state your thing the way you said it. They also quoted the part of the picture of Dorian Gray that is like... (laughs) In the words of Oscar Wilde in The Picture of Dorian Gray, the origin of resolutions is pure vanity. Their result is absolutely nil. And it's like, that's what Lord Henry was saying to try to get Dorian Gray to be a hedonist. <laughs> like, yeah, that's not. Yeah, the- I have to say, I didn't I didn't write it down, but uh, my paper had like this whole thing about the god Janus and like looking forward, but also looking back and the end is also a beginning. It was very floral i was into it <laughs> yeah i mean like this is floral too it's like a little pretentious if you are oh, going yeah, super to use... pretentious and not i think what you probably should actually be in a research paper but you know and also use the quote right you know <laughs> okay fair. like yeah. don't specifically use a quote that someone who is trying to convince someone to be a hedonist when the and attribute it to the author you know well, oh, they did attribute it to the author and not just say... I mean, they did not mention know. that it was Lord Henry trying to convince Dorian to become a hedonist. <laughs> I mean, right, but that's still a thing that someone said, you know. Maybe they're pro-hedonism. I'm just saying that, like, they should at least have included a literary analysis. <laughs> <laughs> that might have somewhat distracted from the paper. A lot of things distracted from the paper. <laughs> Okay, are you you done with your things? Should yeah, I, I, just, mind? I just wanted to talk about Oscar Wilde real quick. Uh-huh, that's <laughs> fair. I always want to talk about Oscar Wilde. Don't we all? Um, okay, anyway, my paper that I read was called The Resolution Solution, Longitudinal Exa- Examination of New Year's Change Attempts. And it was by one of the same authors as yours. So uh, <laughs> it covered some of the same ground, and I am a little skeptical of it in perhaps similar ways. But I thought it had some interesting statistics. It started with a sample size of 213 adults with at least one, but 1.8 on average, clearly defined resolutions. All of them were from northeastern Pennsylvania, inexplicably. Well, University of Scranton. Oh, yeah, I guess. It just seems like they could have cast, like, a slightly wider net than that. But, you know, whatever. It's fine. (laughs) Of those goals... Smoking cessation was 30% of the goals, and weight loss was 38%. So between those two, that's more than two-thirds of all of the uh, resolution types that there were. And they took these people and interviewed them at intervals over two years. So the first interview was at one week, and then they did two weeks, and then maybe they also did three weeks, and then one month, and six months. Uh, And the last one was two years later. And... It was somewhat about the coping processes that you mentioned. Stimulus control and self-blame and wishful thinking stood out. But um, I mostly just thought that it was interesting 
that after one week, 77% of the participants were maintaining their goals, which is honestly very low. <laughs> like, Oh, wait, that's one tw- week. Yeah, o- almost a quarter of them couldn't keep it going for one week. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing their best. It's a hard life. <laughs> it is a hard life. You know, and and sometimes you just... You set a high goal, and then it's January 7th, and you've just moved on already. Yeah, and I mean, technically, I haven't even made it a week and stuck to my resolutions. Maybe I'll, like, stop recording this podcast halfway through and just leave. (laughs) I mean, we are literally doing one of them right now, so it would be pretty hard for you to not. But we'll see how it goes. Still got a few minutes left. (laughs) So anyway... 55% were continuing their resolution after one month, which, again, is super low, but then it tails off, so 40% were maintaining their resolution after six months, and after the full two years, 19% of them were still going, which, that's actually pretty good, I feel like. I don't think I've ever had a New Year's resolution and stuck by it for a full two years. Well, are your New Year's resolutions usually, like, quantity-based, or are they just, like, behavioral? When you've made them. I guess more behavioral. I've never been a person who makes a lot of New Year's resolutions, but... Right, I think... I don't know. For the most part, they would be things, you know, I'm going to try to do this often. But if it's something like, you know, if you set sort of specific goals like, oh, I'm going to work out three times per week or whatever, and then you start at the beginning of the year, I think it can be really easy to feel like, oh, I messed up one time, now I'm not doing it anymore, you know? Or, you know, not like I immediately give up, but now I have failed in my goal. Which, I I don't know, I think that might be less true if you said, okay, I'm going to work out three times per week, but you didn't tie it to January 1st. Which, I don't know, I think that could be an interesting thing to delve into a little bit. Yeah, I was thinking that earlier, actually. Yeah, well, maybe we should um, move into our study design section. But I did just want to first mention that they, you know, had various demographic factors that they collected for this northeastern Pennsylvania population. Um, And there were, they couldn't find any correlation whatsoever between age, gender, race, whatever, and who completed their goals. There's just like nothing in there that indicates it, which I I thought was interesting. Yeah, that's actually really cool. Oh, okay. There's one thing that I want to bring up that's like, not super related to that, but it made me think about the way that social support was mentioned. They mm-hmm. didn't say anything about whether or not people like talk to a doctor or a medical professional about their goals that were often health related. And mm-hmm. I think that yeah. that's like an important thing to factor in and something that you only do if you are specifically like, if you are specifically like saying your goal and thinking about how to accomplish it. So I would just be interested in seeing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also feel like these studies mentioned social support for, or mine also briefly touched on, against your goal as sort of a factor. That's something that I think would be really interesting, not that we should necessarily get into this right now, but for weight especially, you know, there's a lot more societal pressure on heavier people to lose weight, and studies have shown that long-term weight loss is really not achievable for most people, but I wonder if people who are face more, like, stigma or societal pressure to lose weight are better at following those goals. Huh. 
That is really true. There is definitely more pressure on larger people to lose weight. Mm-hmm. What a surprise in our often <laughs> image-driven society, especially on right. women. <laughs> but they also sort of face more, I guess, hurdles. You know, if you're a fat person going to the gym to work out, you know, you're going to face a lot more, like, whether you do work out or you don't work out, you're going to face a lot more judgment from society than a thin person doing those same things. So, you know, there there are more hurdles that fat people face when trying to lose weight. Yeah, and, like, I think I've seen maybe 500 different tweet threads and, like, a bunch of different, like, <laughs> fat people in media just being like, oh, well, like, eating choices are also always evaluated whether you are trying to eat healthily or you are trying to eat, like, the things that other people eat. Like, Right, definitely. Yeah, there's no way to win. Be nice to other people. <laughs> right, and also eat what you want and eat what's healthy for you and don't take weight loss into consideration because you won't enjoy it. If a stranger tells you about their weight, that's not a, that's not a you problem. That's a them problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or if anyone talks to you about your own weight, that's not their problem. And also it's not your problem because your weight isn't a problem. If they frame it as a health thing and they're not a doctor and sometimes when they are a doctor, they, (laughs) it's not. It's not. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to control the way you look. <laughs> this has been a PSA for More Research Required. <laughs> this has been the More Research Required Soapbox Corner. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Gotta have that. <laughs> Gotta work politics into every episode. We have to do it. It's a, it's in our contracts. <laughs> <laughs> the contracts we made with each other in crayon and blood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's a little creepy. Uh, did we... Like, crayon contracts that we then signed in blood. Yeah, it's metal, but also, like, bespoke. Got it. I like it. (laughs) Yep, we made those and signed those, and they said that we had to put politics into every episode. (laughs) Yeah, just a normal thing for two friends to do. Anyway, (laughs) Abby, would you like to make a study? (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) All right, cool. Okay, so you mentioned earlier that it would be interesting to see these goals if they weren't tied to the January 1st date versus if they are. Mm -hmm. I was kind of coming from the same place there. And I was thinking like the first step would maybe be to find people who have concrete goals, but not in the month of January. Like do all of our finding our research group before that and then see who made resolutions and who didn't. Yeah, right. No, I think you, you could do a study where you just took people who had New Year's resolutions and people who didn't have New Year's resolutions and followed them for a year and then at the end of the year, like, compared who felt better about where they were. You know, that's one thing you could do, but it might be... I I would consider it a little more interesting, I think, to start with people who had goals already and compare New Year's resolution makers to people who just have these, like, vaguely defined, not attached to January 1st goals. Yeah, like, we could find the group of people who just wanted to get their lives together and find happiness and have that be our control. (laughs) Just want to straighten their lives out. Yeah. So, yeah, I like the idea of finding our test set before January and then, you know, tracking them, asking them in January, did you make a New Year's resolution? And then, you know, one full year later, trying to um, quantify what... how successful they were, whether they achieved their goals. Yeah, I think that we should, I 
do we want to tie this to whether or not they achieve their goals or do we want to tie this to what the overall like mood of the group is regardless of whether they succeeded the exact numbers or exact like quantifiable thing that they said or not i mean yeah i kind of like the idea of just asking you know how accomplished do you feel uh rather than specifically did you accomplish the goals that you set out to accomplish Yeah, I agree. I think that when you set a goal, we should allow for flexibility in it and still like, if you don't do the exact thing you set out to do, is that okay? Are people okay with that? Right. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that possibly the people who who have goals, but have them less tied to, you know, January 1st, I guess this is my hypothesis, might feel more, you know, flexible about not achieving those exact goals, but maybe they did something else with their life. Uh, whereas the New Year's resolution people may feel more like they had this goal set in stone and they didn't do it, so even if they did other things, they feel less accomplished overall. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That's a theory. Okay, so how do we want to test this? Uh, so we get our, our sample group prior to New Year's, and I guess we just find people who have goals and record what their goals are, and then on in January we ask them, did you make a New Year's resolution and what was it? And then one year later, I mean, I guess we just have to interview them, right? Yeah, I guess. I know, it's not very exciting. (laughs) Let's make them have New Year's resolutions. Let's give them arbitrary resolutions to follow. Um, what would that do exactly? (laughs) I don't know. Pet a cat every day. They'll love it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but if if they don't want to achieve the New Year's resolution, then I don't think it will actually, like, factor in. I know, but I want to manipulate the test group. <laughs> I mean, I do think that we're already manipulating them by even asking them. Because I, I participated in a study once where I had to keep a diary of, like, what I was doing for my, um, my volunteering thing that I was doing. And... I was so much more on top, you know, I I was so much more systemic and I was spending more time on it and really like thinking through my actions more because I had to write down what I was doing. So I think by even telling people like, you're going to be in this study about your goals, I think there's a decent chance that that will make them, I mean, kind of like what you were saying about posting on the internet and then you feel like you have to do it. You know, if we, if they, if they tell us the researchers that they're going to do a thing, they're going to feel more like they have to do it. So I think we... We do have a problem here, which I think was also a problem in the studies that we talked about, where people who are in our study might have an additional sort of social pressure to achieve their goals and thus might accomplish more than they otherwise would have. Right. Huh. Okay. So how could we control for that? Maybe using online or bad ethics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say bad ethics again. (laughs) But if we just had people who didn't know they were in the study. (laughs) If we had people rat out their friends. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Tell me about that. I mean, what if we we had them agree to be in the study and then we told them they were dismissed from the study? I think that's still bad ethics. Yeah, that's still bad. And then pretend (laughs) that we were running it again the next year and just like happen to interview the same people and also ask them how they feel 2018 went. (laughs) Yeah, it's not good, ethics-wise. 
But, I mean, that would accomplish our, our survey goals. Yeah, but we can't, unfortunately we can't because we have unlimited money, but we can't use it on bail. Or on getting sued. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Can't hire a lawyer with our unlimited funding. Unfortunately, no. Okay. The lawyers know it is but an illusion. Okay, I mean, so is there any way that we can ethically trick them into thinking we're studying something differently while we're actually studying this? We could say that we are studying, um, hmm. Oh, gosh, what, what's a, like, what's a longitudinal study? What's any longitudinal study? <laughs> I, I really can't think of any that are not goal-oriented right now, but there have to be some. Yeah, just like... How do, like, how do people from, I don't know, gosh, like, how do people adjust (laughs) to the weather over a year in a new location? You're the control group. (laughs) Sure. You know, why not? This test involves a degree of deception. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I don't think we have to tell them that. You actually do. If you lie in a study, you specifically have to tell them that you're lying (laughs) about something. That's kind of fun. Um, I I guess, you know, we just have to come up with some way to word the question, what are your goals, and did you make a New Year's resolution, without giving away that that's what the study is actually about. Yeah, or we could just ask a lot of questions. Yeah, no, definitely. We can just disguise it by asking a million irrelevant questions. Do you have a cat? What's the cat's name? (laughs) (laughs) Choose one of the four following cat names that you would give your cat if your cat did not have that name. (laughs) Are you likely to give different names to cats versus dogs? Yeah, every question is about cats and then it's suddenly like, what are your goals in life? What do you intend okay, to Okay, see, no, that would not be good deception. We have to have questions that are about cats and then other stuff and then also New Year's questions. Let's just put every question from every survey that we've ever talked about on the show. Yeah, let's just go through the last, you know, 20 whatever episodes and compile all the questions we asked and put them on this one survey. I mean, honestly, it's a new year. We've been doing this podcast since we started recording mm-hmm. in, like, December 2016, actually. Yeah. So it would be a really good, like, beginning of the year wrap-up where we look back on what we did before and utilize it to learn about New Year's resolution and also <laughs> sure. people's cat preferences. <laughs> I'm into it. Okay, cool. We did it. We designed a study. We sure did. And then, did. right, at the end of the year, we interview them. Ask a bunch more questions, including, did you accomplish your goals? But also just, like, how do you feel about hockey players shaving their beards? (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel about it? Thumbs up? Thumbs down? (laughs) Positive? Negative? (laughs) Do you have an octopus to throw onto the rink right now? (laughs) Do you carry one with you in case a Red Wings game breaks out? (laughs) (laughs) every time you hear the sound of someone fighting do you run up and kind of shiver in disappointment as soon as you realize that they aren't on ice (laughs) they'd have to actually score a goal to throw the octopus it's not just for when people fight i'm pretty sure okay i haven't learned anything else about hockey since the last time we talked about hockey on this podcast in march so (laughs) (laughs) that was a while ago yeah i can teach you about hockey (laughs) Please, let me teach you about hockey. I have so much knowledge. You sure do. You know a lot. <laughs> Not, I mean, I don't know, like, what offsides is. 
No one knows. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Another thing that no, wait, I know what offsides is. No, I mean, I know what it is. It's just really complicated. Yeah. Anyway, another thing that no one knows is how this study will turn out. Would you like to speculate wildly about it? (laughs) I kind of already said what my speculation was, which is that regardless of how much people actually accomplished, uh, having a New Year's resolution and not accomplishing it would make you feel less accomplished overall. But maybe having a, a New Year's resolution and accomplishing it would make you feel more accomplished. I don't know. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that the people who make New Year's resolutions are going to be more likely to have extreme emotions. Like, Mm -hmm. both of these papers classified things into successes, partial successes, uh, partial failures, and full failures. Which, now that I'm saying it, I'm pretty sure the system for, like, the sprawl and, like, dungeon world... (laughs) <laughs> um, when you get a 1 through 6, or a 6 through 8, or an 8 through 12. Um, okay. Those are tabletop RPG games, and those are dice Yeah, numbers. not ones that I've played. Yeah. I wonder if they played a tabletop game together when making this. Anyway, I think that people who make resolutions <laughs> will be more likely to have like strong feelings of self-satisfaction or strong feelings of disappointment. I think that people who didn't make New Year's resolutions are going to be... F- very more often towards sort of the middle road where they're like, I feel good about this, but not devastated. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. But right. I mean, if you don't have tangible markers of where you were supposed to be after a year, you might feel just sort of generally that you either did or did not accomplish things, but, you know, right, less strongly that you you did what you should have or like less than you should have or whatever. Yeah. Cool. So (laughs) Amy, who's going to fund this study? Well, I think that the person who's going to fund this study is uh, Dick Clark. Why? Because he's going to drink a lot at New Year's and then and then give us all his money. Okay, fine. <laughs> he does that. Abby, do you do you know a real science? Uh, or a no. fake one? Gyms like gyms that offer memberships for the New Year. Oh, yeah. Actually, a good question would be whether or not the beginning New Year's money discounts like add up to what it would be if they just sold gym memberships at normal prices at the beginning of the new year. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, I think that gyms would be into it. They'd give us their money. Yeah, they'd probably want to know things. They could use the results for advertising. Yeah, and so would drunk newscasters. (laughs) Hmm. Maybe. (laughs) I can be very persuasive. Okay. <laughs> uh, um let's uh let's wrap this up. Okay. <laughs> Do you have anything to say for like wrap up? I don't. Do we have any news? No. I have some personal news which is somewhat relevant to this podcast. Tell me more. Which is that uh over the holidays a friend of mine was trying to make me think that astrology was more real than I thought it was. This was actually on New Year's Eve. So he was telling me about my um, my moon sign and my rising sign. And both of those things are very fake and do not describe my personality at all. But then he told me about cusps, which are, you know, if you're born within a couple days of the barrier between signs... You can be on the cusp. 
and I am actually a Leo Virgo cusp, and if you use the cusp personality traits, they actually do describe me. So maybe astrology is real. Abby? <laughs> yeah? We can't do this. <laughs> we can't do this because I am a super cancer and everything cancer is right for me, but I don't believe in it. And Abby, if you start believing, then what's the foundation <laughs> of this podcast built on? That's a really good question. I mean, also, I'm still, you know, this doesn't actually accomplish my goal of believing in horoscopes, which is that I could read those posts that are like the signs as you know, members of One Direction or whatever, and have them. There's only five of those, so that would be a little bit weird. But, you know. <laughs> Liam. Dark Liam. <laughs> Secret Mirror Liam. Liam. <laughs> the, the Liam who lives in the shadows. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I still can't read those probably because they don't have cusps on them. I just said the word cusp a lot now. Yeah, okay, well, you're on the cusp, and you're still valid. You should just start making your own horoscope posts. (laughs) My own horoscope posts that have the 12 signs, and then only the Leo Virgo cusp, and not any of the other cusps. You can do ones for the Homestuck signs, the 100 and... Oh, no, there's too many of those. There are 288, possibly? Something like that? I just wanted to take the personality test. I don't know. Yeah, it was a good test, and now I know... Now I know. I I got my results for what, you know, wait, did it, it had aspect, I think, and not class, but then it also had what, what dreamer you were. Anyway, it's a fun time. Sometime we're going to talk about Homestuck on this podcast. One day. Sheesh. It's going to happen. We sure yeah. are. So that's two, po- that's two more episodes that we've floated this time. Yeah, and we have we have a couple requests also to do. So we, yeah. we've got some schedule for the future. If you want to tell stuff us... coming up. Yeah, if yeah, you want to tell us not to do Homestuck, email us. We're, sorry, we're not going to pay. You can feel free to email us, but we are going to do it. <laughs> All right. If you want to tell us not to do Homestuck and to do something <laughs> else instead, email us at moreresearchcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at moreresearch underscore or you can go to our Tumblr, which is moreresearchrequired.tumblr.com, our only social media that uses our full name. Also the only one that I made. Yeah, <laughs> not a coincidence. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, get in touch with us at all of those places. We would love to hear from you. If you have topic suggestions for what we should talk about or, you know, questions you want answered, we'd love to hear about that. Uh, also, you should rate and review us on iTunes. We would love to hear from you, and yeah, just do that. Um, Anyway. Yes, please. Please do it. Our music is Marie Curie by The Crypts. I love our theme song so much. It has grown on me so much. Marie Curie is my favorite song. (laughs) (laughs) If if you've only heard it in our podcast and you've never heard the whole track, go listen to it because it's wonderful. It's so good. Check it out, please. You'll enjoy it. You'll love it. Just do it. I think it's on Bandcamp. Also, maybe Free Music Archive or something. You can find it. Google There's it. There's a music video on YouTube. It's pretty darn good. I've never seen the music video. <gasps> Watch it right now. Okay. Okay, I'm, let's stop recording first so yeah. that I can do that. Okay. Until next time. Go on YouTube.com, look up The Crips, look up Marie Curie by The Crips, and watch The Crips music video for Marie Curie, and stay curious.
any other song of theirs yeah but th- i love this song very much you and i both like to r- ride bikes your research <laughs> most likely led to your death but it isn't like you knew it isn't like you knew <laughs> that's what the research was for <laughs> yeah how else are you gonna find out that it would lead to your death yeah someone's gotta do it and marie curie did <laughs> and also road bikes Mm-hmm. The French Academy of Sciences can go and take a hike. 